one ever cared for me like Jesus. His faithful hand has held me all the way. And I was just sitting over here. And I managed to make it through this time without just breaking apart weeping. Because the first, you know, 300 times I listened to that song, I felt like the Lord just crushed my heart with his love. And last week, we stood together, those of you that were here, and, and um, some of our guys that aren't able to be here this morning were so gracious and brought this huge bucket of rocks that are in the back um, that have names on them, and we brought them down here, and we built at this, this the altar zone um, a, a new a new layer to our, to our foundation of taking these and declaring these were going to be our Ebenezer stones. And some of us were like, what is an Ebenezer? An Ebenezer is a stone. Go back, read it, look it up in your concordance. This is the really cool thing of like a paper Bible. There's thing called a concordance in the back. It's like a mini dictionary. Look it up later. Uh, not now. And, and so the, the Ebenezer stone is the foundation stone, but Ebenezer meaning God's not failed me. He's not let me down. He's not... His faithful hand has held me all the way. I'm thinking of how many worship songs that we state this in various ways. He's held me all the way. He's not let me down. And yet, then we kind of add a comma and add an extra word right there. Yet. I'm like, am I prophesying doom over myself here? I'm not quite sure. I, I haven't really figured that one out. But his faithful hand has not let me down. And it doesn't really matter what my eyes foresee and what I'm walking through where I feel let down, if I start to really hewn that thing, it says, Jesus, where are you in this? Where are you in this? I think of like in World War II and the Jewish families in the concentration camp, Jesus, where were you? I have a feeling he was weeping, walking beside them. I think of the other stories that we walk through in our own life. I've had several friends die of horrific cancers, and they've done all the work. They changed their meals. They did all the work, and they came before the Lord, and their body gave out. And I have to tell you, I haven't had one of those friends that has walked through that that died in bitterness. And I don't know if that's my little term, but there was this moment that these people walked into this, and at some point they started to see Jesus. And they started to believe there was an elongation of their life into eternity that counted, and that he had not failed them in the pain and the brokenhearted moments. And they, they dug into that. And some of you have buried your spouses and your loved ones, and you know the emptiness of the side of the bed. It doesn't have that body in it anymore. And you know the emptiness of burying your children and your arms not being able to hold that life. And I have to tell you, I know these beautiful people who would look at me and say, but the Lord's not left me in that moment. He took me deeper. And I think that's that Ebenezer stone of the base that then we start to build our life on. And I'm like, Lord, don't let me stick bitterness on top of this ever. Don't let me stick fear or condemnation on top of this. I almost want to ask the Lord, like, Lord, let my rocks almost be clear, my, my build up. I want to be able to see back down to that foundation. 
So I've been thinking about foundations lately and what we leave, the flavor we leave in other people's mouths, but more importantly, the flavor we leave in God's mouth. And he tells us some of this in his word, your word, your book. He shares the flavor in your book. And so I want to just take you on a little journey with me. I didn't even get to touch it last week because the Lord just usurped it. And so um, so I usurped this week <laughs> and said, can I have this week too? Because I just wanted to share a story of, of just the fun. Sometimes the Lord is so much fun to do Bible study with, right? Like off the book, off the... Off the um, off book. I don't mean off this book. And I love the book that we're doing about connection. We're doing that. But sometimes the Lord wants to just take me on an adventure. It likes to just go back and forth. So the concordance or a study Bible or um, a commentary, to me, those are just so essential for my reading. So often when I'm reading, I have this book and then I have like a pile. <laughs> beside, because I'm like, I want to be able to go back and forth. And I want to take you on a journey that the Lord took me on in the last couple of weeks. Um, because I'm thinking outside the story of COVID, because I feel like everything has to be like referenced in COVID right now. I'm a little over that, but, um, but outside this story, um, of 2020, 2021, which, by the way, I think is partially killing our souls, that we expect it to end. And if our children expect something to end, and we're like, no, we're living life. There are babies that were born in January 2020 that are now how old? I mean, they're like toddlers. I don't want to build COVID in my body as a toddler or an elementary school thing that I'm carrying in me. Does this make sense? I want to let it be as it is. We walk with people as they're healing we honor people, but we have a greater story that we're searching after, okay? So outside of COVID, where was the last place that God gave you direct direction, okay? Maybe in COVID, he gave you direct direction, all right? Maybe that's, he spoke to you something very specifically. I don't know, but outside of, of that, its own swirl, where's the last time that the Lord gave you direct direction and he said, this is what I've told you to do, Okay? Where is that? And sometimes we don't know. Or sometimes in the chaos of the world around us in this kind of COVID-y season, the whole world has gotten kind of foggy. And I'm like, is the Lord saying to do this? Is he not saying to do this? I mean, what? Lord, just put me back on solid ground. Put me back on solid ground. So where was the last place he spoke in? So if I had to title last week and this week, it would be breaking the cycle of hopelessness. He's already told you what to do. Okay. There we go. He's already said it. You have a word, all right? Which, by the way, was written quite a while ago, not in 2020. So we're going to go back to the word. Um, and I want to just share this because I loved it. He actually started me out because my Bible app randomly gives me verses of the day. And sometimes those verses really bless me. And um, I think it came from that last week or the week before, but I really just spent some time. So if you have your word, show me, which word do you have today? Hold up a word. There should be a print, printed one in front of you. Awesome. All right. If you're online, grab a word. Okay. So we're going to bounce around some. I love to take notes. The reason I do is later I like to go back and like hunt things up that I might want to. So I'm going to be dropping some verses that we may actually not get into today that refer back. So pen, paper, notes. Normally I would have notes, but the last couple of weeks the Lord said, nope, I want you to like freestyle a little bit. 
I don't rap, that apparently preaching freestyle is a new thing that the Lord's doing in my life. And he was like, no, we're not going to prep it all. We're just going to jump in and you're going to listen and, I'm, and be a mouthpiece, hopefully. So, um, no, the hopefully is Meg, not God. I shouldn't have added that. Isaiah 62, 10 through 12. If you guys can run there really fast with me. I love Isaiah. I think Isaiah is probably one of the most decorated places in my Bible with drawings and, you know, lots of arrows. Lots of arrows. I have a feeling it probably looks similar in Chuck's Bible. But Isaiah 62, um, I'm going to read out of NIV. I'm actually also reading out of ESV, English Standard Version, if I confuse you. You know, it's good. Isaiah 62, 10 through 12. Let's read this. Is it up here? Awesome. All right. I don't know what this is, what version that's in. It's probably ESV up there because that's what I typically preach in. But anyway, so I'm going to read it out of NIV. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people. I felt like the Lord's like saying, King's Church, Church of America, Lexington, Kentucky, right now, listen to this word from me. That's kind of how I felt like it was a bullhorn when I saw it the other day. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones. Last year we laid particular types of stone. Sometimes I have to get rid of a few stones so I can see that foundation again, right? Remove the stones and raise a banner for the nations. So much right there. We'll come back. 11, the Lord has made a proclamation to the end of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your salvation comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed, the Lord of the Lord, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you lay foundation stones, adventures for us to to mine the gold out of. Teach us your word this morning. Amen. So I started here a couple weeks ago, and I was just going through this, and I thought there was just so much here. I I went to Asbury College back in the day, and my class, every class has has a name, and mine was the redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord, and we would all scream, so, and so this, so, this This verse has meant so much to me over the years. Right here, the redeemed of the Lord will be called sought after a city no longer deserted. And I was going through this, and I feel like I could spend all day just in this right here. I mean, we could spend all day in just one of these verses. We're actually jumping totally somewhere different from here in just a minute. But I wanted to jump through. And so if you have um, paper, you can write this down, because I'm just going to read. I actually printed them out, so I wasn't even flipping all over the place in here, and I could read it easily and big. But when I pulled up a concordance, and I printed it out here, just stuck it into Gmail so I could see it, just in these three verses, there's A through K, However many that is, y'all can figure that later. A through K on so many verses that go into here. It's not just random, beautiful, poetic writing. It's prophesying back to the word. It's declaring back, the Lord said this, the Lord did this, he's going to do this. Like each way, um, each passage here, each segment before the periods and the commas are specifically put in to declare the word of the Lord is true. He said this before. He's done this before. I mean, it's, it's like coming before a, um, 
a judge and you have this situation and the Lord and the judge says, well, where, what is the, what is that called? I can't think of the word right now. Say that again. The evidence, the past, say that again. The past precedents. That's what I was looking. Thank you. So I'm glad you're here this today. I love you. So past precedents. What is the precedence that this has been built upon before to stand on now? Does that make sense? So I'm just going to jump. A, Isaiah 62, 10, just that first part right there. Pass through, pass through the gates. It's referencing back to Psalm, Psalm 24, 7. Lift up your head. Did you know you're a gate? Right? Lift up your head. Oh, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Psalm 23, your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphant procession. The Lord wants to bless you. And we're not here to talk about prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying the Lord wants to bless his people. But he's asking you to lift your gates up and to be open. Declare the way of the Lord. Okay? Just a couple there. Going on, Isaiah eleven sixteen. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria. It is that it is there as there was for Israel when they came up out of Egypt. He's declaring there will be a day of freedom. There's freedom for the people. You are to be freedom bringers to people. We are to be freedom bringers freedom bringers. All right. Jumping to Isaiah 54, 14, 57, 14. And it will be said, build up, build up and prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way for my people. We have to do that as a group, as King's church, we remove the obstacles as individuals. We have to clear out the stones. So we get back to that base. We take out the roads. Have y'all noticed the last several weeks how beautiful it looks out on the little front path out there when you're walking in? Have you noticed that? I'm just going to tell you, somebody took out the obstacles. Do we know what those were? Weeds. The obstacles were weeds. They were growing up. They looked horrible. And it wasn't because we were trying to ignore them. It was a crazy summer and we were busy and it was nuts. And we were ministering to people and just that one zone really kicked our tail And you know what happened? There was a woman who was ministered to by the provision school that we were ministering to the provision school by taking care of their part of the building. That's been a little work in progress up there. Those air conditioner units, a gym is is put in many a night in the air conditioner unit and not pulling the weeds. But the weeds were a visible thing that was, you know, you appreciate the air conditioned room when you're sitting in it, but you don't see it, do you? But the weeds, we would drive by and it looked unkept. You know what the Lord did? He had a woman whose son is up there. He spoke to her heart. And you know, I'm not actually sure she knows it was the Lord speaking to her heart. I don't know. And she said, I can do something about that. I have the ability to do something about that. I need help with my family. I need help with my child. But I can give here while they're helping me there. And single-handedly, she turned that little peninsula around into just a place of blessing. And it's beautiful. So where do we clean the roads so that the Lord can turn around and give place of blessings? Deuteronomy 34, down in here. Let's see here. Ah. Even if you have been banished to the most distant part of land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Lord is hunting you down. He wants to give you space in your life to be a blessing to others. 
That woman had been given space in her life and she used her talents in the way that she's good at. She planted flowers and laid some, some brick and brought us a fountain. Man, I'm blessed every time I look at that fountain pouring its water out there, y'all. I would ask that as you walk back and forth, can King's Church just say, thank you, Jesus. Bless this woman more. Lord, give us space in our lives to be a blessing for other people. So I'm jumping through all of this. And as I go down in the bottom in here, we get to some of the last. You will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, a city no longer deserted. Wow. And I was reading, I was like, where does that come from? Oh, going back, going back, Genesis, Genesis, which is where we're going to jump into today. Genesis, Genesis 32, 28 first. Can y'all jump there with me? I stuck some stickers in here to help. Jacob wrestles with God. Don't you love Jacob's story of wrestling? You know, until I had kind of spent some time in this before, I hadn't really noticed some patterns of where he didn't just wrestle with God and be told, told that his name was going to change. He has actually told his name is going to change twice. So we're going to look at both of those spots right here. But 32, 28. And then he said, your name, this was all night. It wasn't a quick wrestle, y'all. It was all night. I mean, he like, there's a lot that's going into this story, right? Backstory. Go back and read it later. But he's wrestling with a man all night, and he ends up being marked with a, with a hip and a limp. But he won't give up. He won't give up. One of the reasons he's alone is that he knows he's a half, going to the next day go meet his brother Esau, which he had done wrongly to in the past. He had manipulated. He comes from a great line of manipulators. The women in this line... They twisted and connived in order to bring about what they thought was the Lord's will. See, they were at A and they saw Z because Z was where the Lord had spoken a prophecy over them. And they said, I have to get to A to Z and I need to do it on my own terms. I need to make it happen. I'm not sure I can trust that the Lord is going to clear those roads for me. I got to do some of this work. So they did. Jacob learned very well how to do that on his own, didn't he? He twisted and manipulated but also, I think he learned some good things like tenacity in here. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Man, I mean, Jacob knew how to hunt down a blessing. And he said to Jacob, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob said to him, please tell me your name. And the man said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. I mean, I just think a little bit of the, the widow's might who just like, you know, going back, going back, going back. Like we have these areas where it is like just fighting for this. But the underneath part of his fighting, his, the Ebenezer, that, that grounded foundational layer, a lot of times I don't think it always fully believed that God's best was out for him. Does that make sense? Like he was afraid he was going to lose his wife. He was going to lose his family. Esau was going to come in and kill him all out because he had done it wrong. And the funny part is Esau doesn't do that at all. The story of their, their coming back together is so beautiful. Read it later. We're not going to go into it all. But we are going to jump ahead now to 35. Isaiah 35. So this is interesting. 
Jacob says to, God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared before you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all that were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let's arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress as had been with me wherever I have gone. Ooh, good foundation stone right there. So they gave all to Jacob, all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the, uh, this tree. As they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the, God, the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. And he and all the people that were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called this place Alon Bakuth. Interestingly enough, if we go back and forth a little bit, when the Lord was just kind of like opening my eyes to some stuff, if we go back to the end of 32, 32, 22, actually, with the wrestling story, at the beginning it says, and that same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford. Now, he talks specifically about some of these people, and then these groupings. I had always kind of assumed that the two wives and two female servants were the ones that also had kids. Does this make sense? So he's taking his intimate group, and he's going... But over here, when someone dies, it's Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. Well, who's Rebecca, y'all? Hmm. His mother's nursemaid. So I started looking at this and getting a little interested in timelines. So let me just tell you, please go back and spend some time in this because I think it's fascinating. But I'm like flying back and forth. And this is where I got out the commentaries because there are smarter people than me that have already written those. And so I'm like digging in all of that. And I'm like, do you know how old Rebecca probably was at this point? Because we're talking long times between things. So we're, I mean, not Rebecca, but Deborah. So Deborah was Rebecca's nursemaid. This was a beloved family, family servant. I mean, she moved and she moved, but where she would have been with um, Isaac and Rebecca, where they would have been is pretty far from where Jacob would have been here. Okay, there's a far distance in all of this, but he buries her here. So there's some thought out there that when he, when he got sent, when, um, when Rebecca said, run, Esau is going to be pretty darn mad and I'll send for you and I'll send somebody to tell you when it's safe to come home. So there's thought out there that one of the people that she would have trusted more than anybody else to send to go give this dear message would have been her nursemaid her closest confidant, her entire life. And so somehow Deborah goes from being over with um, Isaac and Rebecca to being now with Jacob and Rachel and their whole family. So somehow she travels this. So I don't know, just a conjecture that some people have thought that when the word was sent, that maybe she was the mouthpiece that was, was sent ahead. I don't know. All I know is that she stands out. We don't usually hear about it when a servant dies right? But she passes away. They bury her at this place. And then there's different words. If you look in different translations, but it's like the Oak of weeping, the weeping Oak. It's like this this place had this name and apparently it's not actually an Oak. This gets pretty cool for Megan in my timeline. It's a sycamore fig. Apparently it wasn't that uncommon to actually bury people under a fig tree. 
I'm starting to think this is a cool idea. I don't know, out at the farm in Meg. But it's pretty cool. So like, it's a sycamore fig. That's not the type of fig I'm growing at my home or that I've been eating all summer. These, these figs are actually, it's like a much larger tree. Like, Zacchaeus was a... And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a... Yeah, it was a fig tree. It's a sycamore fig. It actually does put out figs. They're not nearly as tasty, apparently. I've never had one, as the figs that we, pr- we grow, apparently. But they do become quite large and stately, and they have like symbolic meaning in this area of the world. And so people would often sit under them or bury under them. But this, this particular fig tree, the sycamore, was named after Deborah. It becomes known as the tree of Deborah. All right? This is Deborah's tree. She's buried there. Everybody knew who Deborah was, and we get one line, and now I want to know more. It's like those things when I get to heaven, like, okay, Lord, can you please explain to me more about Deborah? But I love this storyline, but I was just thinking, Deborah passes away here, and the story goes on right here, right after Deborah's buried in a very, like, loving manner. She's buried, and in 9, it says, God appeared to Jacob again. Like, it literally goes from Deborah's death and burying to God appeared to Jacob again. And when he came from this place, and he blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. Wow. But I love that Jacob and all the stuff that he did and his father did and his father did, that they would honor and look back. There was, a, there was definitely a culture of honor going on here, but there was also this kind of a rooted sense of manipulation and, and needing to make sure that things happened on their own. And that kind of threw me because I actually had always heard of a different Deborah. A different one. I didn't even know there were two Debras in the Bible. I didn't realize this. But it made me hunt down Deborah in Judges and to go read a bit about her. So let's jump to Judges really fast, four and five. Because there's an interesting thing here, I think, when we read about. It says this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Put away those other gods. Put away the other idols. Seek first the kingdom of God. And they just kept messing it up again and again, right? This is about, so the first Deborah was roughly about 2,000 years BC. This is like 800 years later, roughly. I'm summarizing here. But anyway, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And after Etha died, and then the Lord sold them to the hand, right hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar, the commander Canaan. We were just in Canaan a minute ago. Do you guys remember that? Bethel, Canaan, important. Anyway, who reigned in Hazar. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in, you know, this great big long word, And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So the book of Judges presents this idea, right? There are 12 judges that we walk through, 12 judges, 12 voice pieces that were supposed to be the voice of the Lord, because there wasn't a king at that time, saying, return back to the narrow way, get stuff off your road, clear the path, open your gates. And they just couldn't seem to do it. And so suddenly we have this woman on the scene. She's the fourth judge. 
And there's been 20 years of oppression, and then Deborah comes along. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, you know, I'm sorry, guys. You have dyslexic women standing here, and I'm trying to say other names. I love you guys. I'm not even going to try half the time. Who was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah. Now, what always gets me on here is that one's an oak, one's a palm. I'm assuming they're totally different trees in totally different places. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Deborah sits under the palm of Deborah between Ramoth and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son. I love this story. I love where we're going to go right in this story. And we want to talk about what Deborah does here. But before that, I just want to point out something, some conjecture and something interesting. That there's quite really a possibility that this palm of Deborah was neither a palm, nor was it named after the prophetess Deborah who sat there. There's quite a possibility that this, this tree, this sacred tree, was the same tree that Deborah, the nursemaid of Rebecca, or Rachel, was buried under. We're in the same area. And the history, the folklore that goes is actually that this is the same tree. That this woman has come and she sits here and judges and prophesies from this place that is well known in the area, okay? I just loved that idea that we have two different Deborahs in the word coming into the same area, passing each other by about 800 years. I mean, I guess it's not that much when you look at the first Deborah was probably 140 to 160 years old when she died there. <laughs> but, but we have this time zone. And I just love, do some research on this. I think it's fascinating when you go back and start actually researching why trees are called the way they are called. It's fascinating. I love the horticulture kind of overlap in all of this. But moving on. Y'all aren't nearly as excited about that point as I was. I mean, I'm just going to say. I was like, dude. Um, all I know is that Deborah has her ear to the ground and she's listening to the Lord. Okay? She's listening to the Lord and wants to be in a place where she can hear. So she calls Barak, the son of Abinaham, from this other place, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you to go gather your men at the Mount Tabar, taking 10,000 men from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera and the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Right here, I love how Deborah knows that She's heard from the Lord. She's not questioning it. She's very lovingly calls him over and says, the Lord's already told you what to do, right? Like, you know, you're supposed to be doing this. She reminds him of who he is and what he's supposed to be doing. There's not a manipulative thing that's going on here. She's sitting there and she's sharing the truth and speaking it out. And I think she's saying, do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? The Lord's already spoken to you about this. And he says to you, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, I have to say, a lot of times in the past, I've read that and thought a little bit like, well, dude, come on, man up. But if we realize at the time that she, as the prophetess and the judge, she was the voice of the Lord to the people. And he's saying, I want the voice of the Lord to come with me. I want to know I'm doing the right thing. Come with me and make sure of this. He wants a connection with his Lord. 
Isn't it beautiful that we already have that? It has been given to us. We can have that direct connection with the Lord. We have the word. And through this word, he wants his word to be placed within our hearts, right? So they go. But she warns him, right? She says, if, if we do this the way you want us to do this, then a woman will get the glory for this, just to give you the warning on that. And he said, that's okay, come anyway. So they go. And, and it's interesting if we jump ahead just a little bit into the song of Deborah and Barak after everything comes about the way, exactly the way it was supposed to come about. There's this song that they sing together as leaders. This is setting the culture for the time. They're saying, we're gonna, we're gonna devise a song. We're gonna set something down in stone that we look back to and sing about to remind our people, this is who our Lord is and this is what he said to do. We're gonna build a foundation here that for the next 40 years, these people lived she ruled for 40 years. For the next 40 years, they ruled in, in peace and in harmony, and they remembered the words of the Lord, and they walked in that. And I love this, number six, in the days of Shemgar, son of Anath, in the day of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and the travelers kept to the byways, and the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. What happened? The roads were empty. Nobody trusted the roads. They were afraid to come on the pathways. They were afraid that things would jump out and kill them and hurt them. The pathways, the roads were not safe. Nobody had cleared the pathways. Instead, they kind of went around it. Well, I'm just going to do this like little side road. You know what it reminds me of? Like I drive from Wilmore to Lexington many days of the week. It's about a 30 minute drive for us to get from our farm to here. And so we do this way a lot. And, and I love to go up and like shop up at like Trader Joe's. But I have to tell you, I do not drive Nicholasville Road from Wilmore to Lexington. I don't. I drive up and I have these little back roads and then I cut across and, and do this little windy thing and pop out over at Trader Joe's, do my shopping. I pop back across and I do this little windy thing back down and come back down here. But I've discovered over the last number of years that other people have discovered this way too. It doesn't save me nearly as much time as it used to, but sometimes when I'm driving down Nicholasville Road or Harrisburg Road and I hit every light the right way, it's much faster because it's a straight shot in and it's a straight shot out. But I'm avoiding the main roads because I perceive there are obstacles between here and the path. People were perceiving there were obstacles. They were afraid, not just annoyed, but they were afraid to do this. Until what happened? Deborah arose. And she doesn't say here, she doesn't lord this, just like when she called Barak to her. She didn't say, dude, come on. You're not listening to me. She didn't do that. She called to him and she spoke truth and vision and reminded him the Lord had already spoken to him. The Lord had already spoken to him, just like I love to look at my kids and I'm like, what's the Lord speaking to you today? Because I want to come into agreement with you over the, what the Lord is speaking to you about. Let's, let's do that. You can hear from the Lord. You don't need me to be your sound piece all the time. I can give you parameters, but I want to clear the path so you have eyes to see and ears to hear because I've made a place of safety for you to walk this path to hear from the Lord. And that's what she does here. She says, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. 
Now, there's two different ways when they go back and define that. It can also be translated mother of Israel, not just mother in Israel. I think she saw herself as the mother of Israel. She was the mother of these people and she wanted to gather her children together before the Lord under this palm of Deborah and to be able to say, all right, what's the Lord already told you? What's he already said? What directive has he told you to do? You want to hear from me because I'm the prophet, I'm the judge, but the Lord's speaking to you. There's a direction he already goes. And she does this in such a beautiful way that I think she instills inspiration in other women because we have JL who then arises, right? Looking at time here. Can't see. She has JL. JL does this amazing thing, right? Poor Sisera. I mean, <sighs> Sisera runs away in the middle of battle. He takes off. He's hungry. He's thirsty. How do you fall asleep when there's a battle happening and killing out people and you're supposed to be in charge? I don't understand this. I don't know. I mean, I need like sleepy time tea and noise and all sorts of stuff for my brain to shut down at night, but he just needed a cup of milk. Maybe I should try that one tonight, but he gets a cup of milk and JL, now let's put JL is, what is she? She's a modern day housewife. At least that's all we know of her. She's in her tent. She's at her tent. We don't know anything else about this woman, but if I'm at my home and all you knew of me was that I was at my home, it would be really easy to say, you're a housewife. Well, yes, I am. I'm taking care of my home. She was taking care of her home and calls him in and does him in. You know? She felt the freedom to walk in power and authority in a moment in a civilization where we don't see very many women standing up and walking in power and authority, do we? But I wonder if Deborah was installing an inspiration in the women of her time. You can be a mother, you can be a prophet, you can be a judge, but you don't need to fight for the position you've already been given because the Lord knows who you are. The Lord knows what he's calling you to be. The Lord knows that you, he, when he calls you to submit to him, you'll do so. So young women, listen. When the Lord speaks to you, listen to what the Lord says to do. You don't need to fight and manipulate. You don't need to come in and, and twist or be the puppet strings behind the scene. Speak when the Lord tells you to speak and be silent when he tells you to be silent. I mean, it says on here that what did she do? Deborah sat under the palm and listened to the people. And then she spoke. I think there was already a testimony of honor that she had set up here. And I wonder, I'm just, this is just me telling you guys my Bible study from a couple of weeks ago. But I wonder if the Lord just so moved in JL that it was like, all right, we're doing this. And that prophecy came true. Barak had to go back. And when his song, they gave testimony to the fact that a woman brought down the head of this army. And so scared everybody else away that they had 40 years of peace as they leaned into the ear of the Lord. And so I just spent time the last couple of weeks thinking about the two different Deborahs. And I'm not saying that Deborah number one was manipulative or conniving. I don't know. But I know that she was a nursemaid. And I know that as a trusted person that was in that culture, she probably represented in some ways that culture because they don't tell us she didn't, right? 
And, and that, so that stream of women right there felt the need to pull the strings and work behind the scenes to make things happen and to dishonor God and their husbands. Even if they wanted to get in their heart, they wanted to go where the Lord called them to go. They also felt that they need to make it happen. And I think we're in a time where we don't have to do that. We can sit back and let the Lord fight our battles for us, right? I don't want my testimony, thank you, Stephanie, to be one of a woman who pulled the strings behind the scenes and manipulated that. I don't want that because I don't want my girls to be that kind of, uh, kind of way. I used to think it was so funny that I have three girls and one boy. I really thought I would be the best boy mom because I'm not the most super sympathetic and like oozy naturally. And so I just thought it was funny that the Lord said, nope, three girls, one boy. He's a very soft little boy. <laughs> He's very tender-hearted. But I want my girls to know that there is a time to stand up and to cry, decree over an area. I'm the mother of this area, and this is where we're going. And I'm not going to be timid, but I'm not going to be manipulated. And I'm going to do what needs to be done. And I think we're in a time in our culture that the world has twisted what a mother is to the point of killing our own babies, child sacrifice again and again and again in the name of freedom. And instead, we need to stand up and inspire generations. And this is why the gray hair is so important. And one day I'll quit adding blonde to mine, y'all, but not anytime soon. <laughs> Just to let you know, we were at the retreat this weekend and we were talking about gray hairs and Jess said, I found one. I was like, way to go, Jess. <laughs> there's a lot. But this is, there's something about understanding that we have a responsibility towards the generations to honor what has gone before us and to honor what's coming up and to stand in that place and say, Lord, speak. Your children are listening. It doesn't matter if our head is fully gray or for a brand new baby. We want to teach both ends to have ears to hear and eyes to see. And to do the hard when we need to do the hard. And to inspire women who sit when it's time to sit and act when it's time to act. So, I love fig trees. The Lord has had me on such an adventure the last two years with fig trees. And I just couldn't believe that there were sycamore figs in this. Are y'all going to come up and sing or not? Thank you. I love it. I keep like, like come on, y'all. So, I feel like we need a song here. But I, I just want us to know that we can be the type of women who inspire that, not just in our own church and not just in our own community with the other people that take care of our building and, and live with us in this building, but we can also do that in our community. And we are called to do that in our community. We are called to be that kind of woman who stands up and says, right is right and wrong is wrong, but I can do it from a loving heart that seeks the individual out. Because it's the individual that's important. And the Lord will take care of the rest. So, so if we can just stand and worship and listen. And, and honestly, I've had this kind of mental vision. And then Betsy's texted me about it a couple times of, of that idea. And we, we didn't bring the rocks back down. But the idea of the, the Ebenezer, the little pile of individual rocks that were up here this last week. Where, where you guys laid a, a rock at the base and built your own little piles. That each week when we come in, 
we have an opportunity to lay down symbolically at these areas or where you are, but to lay down frustrations, weights, heaviness, relationships, fears, distractions. We have an opportunity to lay that down on the base of the Ebenezer and to remove out of the way other stuff that has tried to climb on it that week and allow the Lord to burn that away. That's the place of sacrifice, right? Like I bring the sacrifice and you bring the fire. And if we could only say a few things about King's Church people, if we could only say a few things, but one of those be that we are passionate about bringing forth the sacrifice to the Lord. We are passionate about laying things down and not picking them back up if they're not ours to pick up. We are passionate about loving each other well. We are passionate about taking the proper place where we're supposed to be. Removing things out of the path for others. Letting the Lord build what he wants to build in our lives to not fight or manipulate or to leave a trail of generations behind us that look and say, yep, that's my family. They manipulated all their way to the Lord. I don't want to do that. I want to be a Deborah that sits under her tree and listens to the Lord.